hey, welcome in to another episode of Stub Me Down. My name is JW, and today I am joined by Stub Me Down's new director of partnerships, my co-host and my best friend, Skinny. Skinny, say hello to the people. Hey man, it's good to see you. I only really care about this partnership. I mean, I care about other partnerships. We're happy to be with these partnerships, and we'll talk about them later, but... I'm happy to be with you. You're my partner. I think one thing... I love you. I love you too. I think one thing that we should start to consider is assigning ourselves some other titles aside from host, you know? Like when we had Brian Weinstein from Attendance Bias on last time, man, he's the creative director, the editor, the producer. We gave him all the titles. So I thought director of partnerships, it suits you, you know? <laughs> I'm just trying my best to make sure that everybody out here is at least picking up our podcast and, and listening to it because we have such a good time doing it. And we hope that you're having a good time listening to it. Some of you may not. <laughs> I don't <laughs> I don't know what those reasons would be, but that's cool. We get it. <laughs> We're human. Speaking of partnerships and good times, on our last episode of Stub Me Down, as I mentioned, we had Brian Weinstein, who is the host of a great podcast called Attendance Bias, join us. And he stubbed us down on a fish show from December 29th, 1998 at Madison Square Garden. It was his third fish show. He talked a lot about his interest in music, how he started his podcast. And then of course, this show, which was a really good show, Skinny. One of the things we talked about was how the band tends to play pretty well on December 29th. There was a real great split open and melt in the first set. That really caught my eye, or I should say caught my ear on the re-listen, a five song second set. That was a great show that Brian stubbed us down on. And it was really cool just to have another guest. We haven't had a guest on to stub us down except for once. So this was a fun exercise and great conversation. Great music too. That 98 round was pretty fun. Yeah. And in that second set, that was that 2001 Yam. I thought the pairing was noteworthy. And the the part about the community, like getting back to the community feel of what we're doing is now we're starting to actually reach out to other people about this type of music. You know, I didn't think when I was 19 or 20, I was going to be doing the new ham radio or whatever it is. <laughs> so Brian was a guest on Stub Me Down on our last episode, but Brian also had us on as guests on attendance bias. And we joined him and we talked about a July 3rd, 2000 fish show from Camden. That was a lot of fun, great conversation. So if you're not getting enough stub me down on stub me down, head on over to attendance bias and you can check us out there as well. Listening to that episode, it's really cool to hear yourself talk about stuff and you know, it's possible that people think they really do know what they're talking about, <laughs> but we have a lot of fun talking about the music. So it really doesn't matter whether I get things wrong or not. I think he is interesting in this is that Brian does a fact check at the end. We don't fact check. <laughs> we, <laughs> we try to get this all hammered out before we have this conversation. And I thought it's interesting that he does that. And he's added a couple things. Since we were on with him, first set, second set, I love his little sound bites and just the way that he controls the show. He's a great guy. So much fun to talk to. I can't wait to see him in the actual lot prior to a show. I will also note, Skinny, about that episode that we were on, on Attendance Bias, the infamous Tom Marshall was his very next guest. So Brian had us on as the setup people to the great fish lyricist, Tom Marshall. I don't know. It's kind of like Jerry Seinfeld setting up Kenny Pena. You know what I mean? <laughs> or maybe the other way around. Maybe it's Kenny Pena setting up Seinfeld. Somehow that, I don't know, but that is a great, great analogy. Tom benefited from the cushy time spot after the Stubby Down crew visited <laughs> attendance bias. Uh, that's a great episode as well, man. All those are awesome. It's again, you know, it's such a highlight to have been on attendance bias. And now I see like the wheels turning and fish fans and they all want to be on there. It's a little bit of clamoring. It's great. 
and I'm sure he's busy. I wonder when he's going to end his season. I know I'd want to for like at least three months, probably during tour, you know, no new content during tour. Right. That is a perfect segue into the big news, Skinny. Fish has announced their summer tour. Well, it's actually a summer slash fall tour. So pack your bags, get on the bus. It's happening, my friend. We have been waiting a long time for this. Man, when that announcement dropped on Tuesday, it was a game changer. Everything from Tuesday on has been, you know, water tastes better and the sun feels warmer and the beer tastes colder. Everything about life is just a little bit better knowing that in just a couple of months, we are going to be back in the crowd seeing fish. They added a couple of dates. They're starting the tour in Arkansas, which I thought was kind of a weird choice, although I would suspect that maybe Arkansas has a little bit more lax philosophy on handling the pandemic. Regardless of where they are starting, we are going to be jumping on that bus. Actually, my wife and I will be jumping on that bus for the three nights of Deer Creek, and then we're going to go Deer Creek through Atlantic City. I added dicks to the mix. Uh, how about that? Yeah, I'm glad you did that. And, and I can't fucking wait, man. How exciting is this? It's really exciting. And the thing about it is, is that we, to just keep our our names in the hat and hoping at some point that there would be this light at the end of the tunnel. Dicks can be kind of difficult if you didn't set yourself up for that. I, I'm just so thankful that everything worked out, that we're all going there. You know, there's going to be a lot of stickers given out at Dicks and AC. And, you know, hopefully we get to talk to people that have listened to the show and We'll take your criticisms, man. You know, uh, we won't be too upset because we're about to go see, you know, what I feel is the greatest band on the planet right now. So I think they got a lot in store for us. It's just going to be crushing. It's going to be the shit. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. And just like I'm getting nervous belly thinking about it right now. And it's still, you know, four months away, three months away. So I can't wait. It's just so awesome that we have this to look forward to. And in the grand scheme of things, it also means that we are on the backside of this terrible year with the pandemic and things are looking up, man. And that is just a great positive sign, something to really celebrate. And I can't wait to do it with you and with the crew and with all of you out there as we get into these shows coming up. And I, you know what? I bet you this. Skinny, I know that my favorite show is the one I'm at, but I bet you that the music we get from this tour is going to be pretty good because these guys have been cooped up. Yes, Trey did the Beacon Jams. Yes, he's written a bunch of songs, but there's a lot of pent up energy that is just going to be blowing the roofs off of all of these venues. I think the band is going to feel that. And I think that, you know, we talked about this circular nature of the energy between the band and the crowd. I think we're going to see that on these shows because the energy is going to, you're going to be able to cut that energy with a knife, man. It's going to be crazy, crazy in the crowd. And I think it's going to be that way for every single show of the tour because we're fortunate that we can catch multiple shows, but some people don't always get that opportunity. You know, they get maybe one, two shows, they make the most of it. And, and I think that the band is going to be very cognizant of that. They're going to bring the fire, dude. It will be that part in Scooby-Doo when there was always like fog around, like Scooby-Doo would cut it with his claw and then open it up like it's a window <laughs> and look in. <laughs> so I think it's going to, I think it's going to be like that. <laughs> yeah, and I I am so excited for it. But when when those lights go down or when the sun's still out and it's first set on a beach, you know, Atlantic City's not the most gorgeous beach, but it'll be that day, it'll be just fine. It'll be just fine. Just the other night, we actually had the opportunity to break the ice. You and your lovely wife, Amy, and me and my amazing wife, Megan, we hit up Dark Star Orchestra as they played the Frederick, Maryland drive-in venue, which is a very cool place to see a show. It's basically like tailgating, but the show is happening while you're tailgating. You pull up, you can do whatever you want. You have your car right there, cooler, chairs, plenty of room to dance. Everybody's real cool. The energy, the vibe, very cool. DSO 
had chosen a show from July 27th, 1974. Uh, great time. You know, the music was pretty good. I won't get too negative here. It felt like a lot of first set tunes. The Eyes of the World Encore was probably the highlight for me. But Skinny, I am always reluctant to introduce myself to a new band and really like start to get into their music. On the recommendation of a number of people, we went and saw Goose at the same Frederick Drive-In on May 4th. I was pretty impressed. I made a couple of voice notes that kind of express a little bit about how I felt about it. I like that tune. Not sure what it was called. I call it fucking rock and roll. I think that Goose has the ability to draw your attention. Now, I don't necessarily, you know, I'm not going on Goose Tour. There was a pretty cool moment that like maybe in the second song in, I like look up in the sky and here come these two beautiful geese flying in formation. And I point to the sky and I started yelling, release the geese. Everybody around <laughs> us got a good laugh out of that. But if you have not checked out Goose, okay. give a couple okay. of tunes a listen. You might enjoy some of the jams. And they got a couple of unique things going on. It's not bad, I got to tell you. It's not fucking bad. Babe, what do you think? I like it. There you have it, folks. She likes it. But it was great to, again, go check out that venue. I got to meet Five Songs Second Set, my buddy Dan, who we spoke about a little bit earlier on in the season. So it was really cool to meet him and his wife. Again, just a lot of fun to be at a show and and the energy, the people, everybody was so happy, man. You know, And that was the same at DSO. Everybody was just so happy. Smiles for days. That's what it's all about, man. That's what we're trying to get back into, right? I had a great time. I mean, it was fun. It was fun to get out on a Friday night see music i am a savant about grateful dead and fish not too many other bands so i'm not really listening to goose but i will check them out because you're a friend of mine and you said that they might have something <laughs> thanks appreciate that <laughs> uh in case you have never listened to our show and this is the first time which is awesome too the premises of the show is that Josh and I, over our 20 years, have collected many, many ticket stubs from many, many concerts. And we reach into that stub and we pull it out as kind of a jumping off point to talk about different shows that we've either been to together, most likely, or we haven't been to one or the other. Does that even make sense? <laughs> but one of us has been to the show and maybe one of us hasn't, so that we can kind of have a conversation open up dialogue. And then what we've really been trying to do is figure out what is it about that live music experience that makes it so important to many of you out there and especially us. That being said, JW, we do have a show in store today. Are you ready to stub me down? See, I got it right. <laughs> on the show today. Yeah, man, absolutely. I'm stoked for this one. All right, man, what do you got? All right, buddy. Well, today you and I are going to take a look at a Trey Anastasio band show from June 22nd, 2002. It was a Saturday night from Meriwether Post Pavilion, our hometown venue. Man, we saw a lot of Trey in a short amount of time. We did three, that was the third of a three night run that we were on. This was a pretty wild show going back and re-listening to it. And one of the funny things, bro, was as I'm listening to it and I'm trying to take myself back there, you know, hop in the way back machine and put myself on the lawn. And I had trouble remembering some of the specifics, you know, I remember doing the three night run, right? I remember we stayed at my parents' house. I remember the acoustic encore that Trey came out and did like the chalk dust torture medley. I remember Camden and the Sultans of Swing. Like I remember those. I have, you know, very specific. And this one, I couldn't really put my thumb on anything. So I reached out to actually Billy, who you might recall stubbed us down in the first season of Stub Me Down. And Billy used to work at Meriwether. He was there that night. He 
gave me a couple things. He talked about how the lot, remember the lot was real tight at that point. It was after 9-11. And so the cops were just hovering over every single crew that was out there. And he said a couple other things that made some memories start to pop in my head. And then after listening back to this show a few times and some of the music took me back, I initially was like, eh, this might be a little tough to talk about, but we got a good one on tap here. I don't remember that swing either. It's funny that you had told me we went on three different venues in consecutive nights. And it's great that we had those places to stay, especially up you know, at your parents in Holmdale. I think Camden, we went up and back. No, what we did was we went from my parents directly to the show at Camden, then went back home after the show. We went back to Baltimore. Yeah. And I do remember that first night at Homedale, we talked about this. I spilled a huge $30 beer <laughs> when Trey came out with the acoustic and started the chalk dust. And then in the middle of it plays Yes's Roundabout, did some other teases. I have to go back. I'll, I'll listen to that show. We're not on that show today, but I like lean back like, oh, <laughs> like, you know, the 20 ounce beer went all over the concrete floor. I was so mad because those beers up there, and this is 2002, beers were still $800. <laughs> I remember the look on your face when I walked over. I think I'd been in the bathroom or something and I walked over and you just had this look and I was like, what happened? You're like, you pointed to the ground and there's the cup sitting there knocked over. <laughs> that sets up that whole run. And a lot of times when we talk about one particular show, we start talking about a run, which I think is kind of fantastic that we do that because it gives the perspective of where we were and what we were seeing at the time. And when we get into this show, I think people are going to be really surprised. Well, and the other thing is I went back and I listened to both those other shows, the the June 20th and the June 21st, just because I wanted to, I wanted to compare because there were some repeats, right? Trey Band is not different set every night. There's going to be some repeats there. And I wanted to kind of hear what they were doing, where their sound was at the time, because old Trey Band, you know, early 2000s is different than new Trey Band. Same characters, basically the same lineup. You got Tony Marcalis playing bass, Jen Hartswick on vocals. You've got Ciro, you've got Ray Pachkowski, you know, all the same guys that everybody kind of got to know during the Beacon Jams, right? But the sound back then was maybe a little bit more, I don't want to say stripped down because it was a 10 piece, you know, but it had a little bit more of that kind of swing, everybody knows their part and plays it perfectly type of feel. And Trey's up there as the band director. It made for some really cool music. And I know a lot, you know, a lot of people kind of poo-poo Trey band these days. You know, they don't want to hear Push On Till the Day or whatever, whatever song they might not care for too much in the Trey catalog. But drifting. <laughs> yeah. But those versions from back then were really cool. And it was a different side of Trey's music. I think that we'll, we'll see that a lot through this show. I also think it's interesting, and I don't know if you heard about this, Skinny, but Osiris is doing a new show called Alive Again, and it is about Trey Anastasio Band and kind of his solo career, side project career starting in 1999. So I think that's dropping this summer. So it'll be interesting to hear how he reflects on especially these early years when he kind of solidified this lineup. I mean, not for nothing, there was no Fish playing right now. If you look at where this fell, this was really right before Fish came back. They came back at the end of 2002, New Year's of, you know, heading into 2003. So at this point, you know, we hadn't heard Fish in almost two years. So just going to see Trey, getting into some of the jams, and there were definitely some jams here. And the big band swing feel, man, it makes it makes it for a great party atmosphere overall. And that's how I always, you know, Trey shows have always been super laid back, super fun. You know, you're not like intently listening to type two, waiting for those first notes of Harry Hood or whatever it might be that you go to fish shows for. This was a little bit more of like a party type of feel. And I kind of, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I kind of feel like, when you talked about Jerry Garcia band at Meriwether in 89, and we had talked about the Grateful Dead show in Louisville in 1990, 
how they both had a different feel being in the crowd. I see a little bit of that here, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the, the set here. Yeah, I can't wait to hear what your thoughts are about that. I mean, we always say like comparison is the thief of joy, but you know, I mean, if you're a nerd, <laughs> I think you're a nerd. <laughs> Thank you. I take that as a huge compliment, dude. You know, I'm a history nerd. I'm a government nerd. I'm a music nerd. I'm a beer nerd. Yeah, totally. Oh, oh man, <laughs> you're the worst. But uh, but but it also brings out the best in you, and that's what I like about music is saying that what we're about to talk about reminds you of something else that now maybe you didn't have an experience with, but now you're having an experience with something that, I don't know, drives that point home, makes it feel something for you. I think that, yeah, the best part is, is that you feel that there is a difference between the two. You can negotiate them and you love them both. Sure. I mean, that's how I felt about Grateful Dead and Jerry Garcia. And I feel the same way about Fish and Tab. They're two different setups, but there is a lot to be taken from all those. Man, dude, that's a lot of bands. <laughs> I'm like, whatever. I don't know. I don't know how to quantify it. I'm an idiot. So yeah. Well, you, the the one thing that I did think about too that was kind of a overarching memory of seeing Trey at this time, 2001, 2002, was oh, is he going to play any fish tunes? Is he strictly sticking to non-fish? And in 2001, he pretty much did. At that point, the only songs really that were crossover were Gotta Jabu and Sand. And both of those songs were originally, for all intents and purposes, tab tunes, right? In 2002, now he's playing maybe a couple other things. We saw the Chalk Dust Torture acoustic medley, and there was a stash in there, right? He did an acoustic gin at one point during that summer tour. There was a Wilson, a first tube, Bug, so Pebbles and Marbles. So they, now there was some fish that was getting sprinkled in there. I felt like that kind of added this... I don't know. I, I, like now it sounds kind of stupid, but like thinking back to the time, oh man, you know, he did an acoustic chalk dust with this band and Fish hasn't played in two years. And this was really cool. You know, just that feeling of him playing the Fish tunes was something that I remember being really excited about. And whenever they, whenever we saw that walking out and being like, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, because you're hoping like they come back. But let's get into this set. Yeah, let's take a look at the set. All right, man. So here's what I got. Set one, Burlap, Sack, and Pumps, Mozambique, Night Speaks to a Woman, Small Axe, oh boy, Acting the Devil, Came in Review, and Last Two. There's a lot to discuss here, man. I mean, I think you just heard my pause when I said Small Axe, but we'll get to that in a moment. I know that we sometimes have a tendency to talk about length of time. <laughs> Not me and you. <laughs> <laughs> Even though time is just a social construct. But anyway, if you look at the first three songs of this set, the Burlak Sack comes in at 12 minutes, Mozambique is 11 and a half, and then there's a 25 minute Night Speaks. You're talking right from the top of the show, they're getting into some pretty good jams. And I'll go back to what I said a little bit earlier. These tray shows just have that party feel. And I don't know, I, I think it probably has something to do with the big band nature of having the horns, right? We talked in the first season about how I love the horns. You know, I love that element. It just makes everything sound so much more joyous and happy. And Trey really harnesses that big band swing feel. The burlap sack to start off is just super, super dope. The last three minutes of that mind-blowing jam. Trey holds this note. He's got the horns playing around it. it. There's kind of like a little bit of a stop-start jam in there too. I would call it maybe a pseudo stop-start jam because that doesn't completely stop all of the music. Tony is just hammering on the bass. What, just what a great way to start this show. And then the Mozambique, same thing. It was just this party, upbeat, danceable experience. You're on the lawn at Merriweather and you know what that feeling is like. It's so relaxed. It's not this, you know, you, you when you go to a fish show, I, not everybody, I won't speak for everybody. I'll speak for me. I get into this almost like analytical breakdown of the set 
two or three songs in. And sometimes I think it's just unconscious and I'm like, I don't agree with this or this is really good. Most of it's really good. I don't really complain too much. But this has that, you don't really give a fuck what they're playing right now, man. It's just good. It's groovy. Trey is wailing. And then they get into that Night Speaks and that is just a monster jam. We had seen one the night before that was in the 20 minute mark. This crosses 25 minutes. Just a lot of cool layers to this and, you know, a little bit of call and response there with the horns. And it just is so much fun, dude. It's just so much fun. That it to me, that is the definition of Trey Band. It's just so much fun and it's a relaxed party environment. Yeah, I felt like the horns was that shown. I said, shine, shown from the start. Trey kind of laid back in the beginning of that burlap sack and pump and waited to drop in. Then he does this like one chord delay. I don't know when the, the time mark is on that, but he does this one chord delay. So he's obviously like playing around. And then, you know, the Mozambique, they are kind of going right back into what you said, that party feel. The song pretty much is a party and the horns shine again. They carry the melodies, and then Trey jumps in where he pleases. There's like kind of a fadeaway nature to that song, which I love, and it's almost like very international, those first two songs. I mean, when I think, man, if I played that song like in the middle of the street in Puerto Rico or Jamaica or Trinidad or wherever, I feel like people would totally be all about it. You know, he starts to develop some other sound, which I guess we didn't realize like what we were hearing back then, but just when he jumps in there, when he pleases or when he doesn't, or he takes over, which he does, that whole band is right behind him. So I, I totally agree with you. The party feels, the vibe for, well, the whole set, which we'll talk about, but these first three, you're, you're totally right. And there's a lot of space for the horns to go off. Then you've got Jen singing, you know, doing the backup vocals. The keys, you've got drums and percussion. You know, they're doing some kind of strange sounds. Trey, and I think everybody got a, a good close look at that during the Beacon Jams with Ciro, right? And all the, the weird, crazy shit that he has set up on his kit. All of that makes it that party feel. I really like that analogy of you could hear this in like a carnival or type of event like that where, you know, there's a band playing and people are kind of just jamming down the street and everybody's having such a great time, almost like a parade. Right. They bring that feel and Trey does let other parts of the band, the horn section, the key, like he gives everybody space to breathe. Tony is the absolute backbone of all of this driving each of these songs forward right and trey and tony really have this i mean unbelievable relationship between the two as far as how they play together i think that also kind of speaks to trey he's just very intuitive as a musician but tony is one hell of a bassist really makes this music go in the way he plays it so and the you know you, the night speaks i had to listen to that a few times man because i love the horns the call and response they get into the jam kind of right away and i don't know if you caught this skinny but right around that 11 minute mark i kind of felt a little antelope in there that's interesting it is interesting and so i was listening to it with megan and i said listen to this part coming up you know, so she listened and I was like, does that sound familiar? And I didn't want to lead her like, oh, do you hear this in there? And she was like, you know, what am I supposed to be listening for? And I was like, it's got a little bit of an antelope feel. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. And then I kind of had this conversation with her and then also in my head about maybe because we hadn't seen fish, Trey wasn't playing fish songs, that we were parsing the music a little bit differently to maybe hear oh maybe there's an antelope tease in there now i want you to go back and listen to it around that 11 minute mark and see if you catch it a little bit i think that you will but i don't know it, it will be interesting to hear what your thoughts are on that because i definitely felt a little like uh you know they broke they broke that down a little bit like an antelope well maybe i'll see i mean i hear i hear i know you rider all the time <laughs> <laughs> so, pretty much every show right every show so if you 
if you heard Antelope at 11, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> you know, that's the, it's so funny. I'm like, I feel like Night Speaks to a Woman is like a Huey Lewis in the News tune. It's, <laughs> which is not, that's not a bad thing. I love Huey Lewis in the News. They have great hits. Does Huey Lewis in the News use a triangle though? Because at some, at the 16 minutes, 16 and a half minutes, I mean, it's got to be Ciro. He's playing a fucking triangle, bro. I mean, you know, that's pretty amazing stuff. I couldn't even play the triangle in like my grade school band. They wouldn't even let me get close to the triangle. I think it's a timing thing. <laughs> it is. The triangle is a timing thing. Let's uh, let's bring this conversation back to the rest of this set. So. After the burlap, the Mozambique, and then the Night Speaks, you got a small axe, which Bob Marley is, I, I haven't talked about this. I talk about people that influenced me, and I always am talking about Jerry and Phil and Trey. And I've had the opportunity to go to Jamaica several times, and I, I've been to his grave, and I've been to his house, and it, it, it's super spiritual. I don't remember them. We just talked about, like, we didn't really remember much about this show. But once I listened to that instrumental version of this small axe, which they don't sing the lyrics, he's been on my mind a lot lately. I mean, Bob speaks to me a lot. And then the horns again come in there and just play a really, really strong role. And I just, I don't know, I, I love that. It's like a four minute swing through that, but it's a really great four minute swing. And then they jump right back into the rest of the set, which we can talk about. But I know that Bob is a huge influence in you, too. I mean, you love reggae music. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> who, who doesn't like drinking a pina colada or whatever the fuck you drink <laughs> on a beach listening to reggae? I mean, no offense to, like, people that are Bob historians. I'm actually one of them. But I just wanted to hear what you thought about that, because that's a really huge i don't know i don't want to say bust out but it kind of is that's a huge tidbit yeah i love bob marley dude i was just having a conversation recently with my wife and my two daughters we were talking about the longevity of musicians and songwriting and you know you think about these people that their music is still extremely popular today the beatles and the stones and so on and so forth right obviously bob marley the music that he created is really timeless, right? Bob Marley is by far my favorite songwriter. You look at the impact that his music had. I mean, it led cultural revolutions and in some cases, actual revolutions. And his ability to bring people together and to talk about challenges that he faced and to have the reach that he did. It's unbelievable. And I am definitely not a Bob Marley historian. I know a modest amount of things about him. I admire his music greatly and his talent and his story. Whenever his music makes an appearance in anything that I'm listening to or at a show or whatever, the Stir It Up jam that you talked about from the Grateful Dead show at the Cap Center in that March 1991 run, right? I went and listened to that. That's so cool. This small axe, Soul Shakedown Party, whenever that comes out. You can go on, but when you get into a little bit of a deeper look, man, Bob Marley is like, you know, he, one of the questions, you, you always get that question, who would you go see if they were still alive? And I mean, this includes Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin, right? Jerry, Bob Marley is number one for me. Yeah, sorry, Jim Morrison. Sorry. Jim Morrison would probably be like maybe seven. <laughs> there's, a, there's probably a bunch of people like Jerry, definitely at the top of that list. Bob Marley, Kurt Cobain. Stevie Ray Vaughan would be up there. Hendrix. Right, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Janice, I mean, come on. Yeah, just to, to, to go see live, yeah, to go see live. And that's the thing, you know, you look at some like old videos of Bob in these stadiums in Jamaica and in the different places when he toured around in Africa and stuff like, like hundreds of thousands of people are in this, you've got, you know, whatever, 80,000 people in a stadium and then you've got all of these people outside it. I mean, it, it's just incredible, the reach 
of that music. You know, that's why I think that's always been something that I've enjoyed. So seeing this makes you giddy. It goes back to that. It's a party, man. Trey brought that with this band at this time. He was a lot of fun for where we were because, you know, we were. it was basically Trey band when he was doing this tour and then Phil and Friends. Yeah. Right? That was pretty much... I think we saw widespread maybe in 2002 too, once or twice. Yeah, we saw them a couple times. No offense, widespread fans. We liked them. You know, we just don't know their catalog. I mean, I don't. They wrap up the end of this set with Acting the Devil. I feel like they really tried to pick up the pace here. I mean, really, at like the three-minute mark, Trey just starts to rip it. And he's kind of in sync with the horns there. Then you got Cayman Review. It's not like an afterthought. It's still 10 minutes. It's a little bit slow-handed, so he kind of slows it down just a little bit from that rip from the last song. It, it sounds a lot like a slide guitar, so he's kind of trying to slow it down a little bit. And then we haven't talked about this, but the last two, you mentioned Tony Marcalis, and unfortunately just passed away recently, right before we recorded. And we'll talk about him a little bit more at the end of this episode, but it's just like a drill for bass players. If you listen to that version from the show, that is, to me, that defines him. And from that opening bass line of that song, they just take off. And Trey takes off right after him. So you can kind of tell right there, like, why he really loved playing with this guy. There's a, there's a whole history to it, which I read after he passed too, and I'm sure you did as well. But, you know, what are you thinking about this on relist and like what are your thoughts about that end of the set well i thought that the the acting a devil you know really kind of kicked it back up a notch the small axe was a nice little breather after that 25 minute night speaks and then they kick it back up the one thing about that came in review that i i started to think about was kind of that battle between trey on the guitar and the washboard <laughs> it's like oh they got a triangle they got a washboard always oh, using some sort of like funky crazy sounds zero's got like a string with a bunch of like walnuts tied on it and he makes that like a shaker or whatever yeah it's like fat albert dude <laughs> <laughs> he used to play like the fucking radiator and shit, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. Right. right. It's exactly like what can you make some sort of acoustic sound out of? They're doing it. It is awesome. And and I really like that came in review the way Trey kind of brings the band, everybody down, and then they start to build it back up again towards the back half of the song. And then the whole band drops back in. And it's just, again, it's just that groove. It's that dance party. Then the last tube, I'm a big fan of the tube series, man. First tube, last tube, tube, any, play a tube, any one of them, I'm in. And I think you really said it well as far as Tony here starting it off and then Trey really kind of jumping in and playing around Tony's bass. And Tony has a pretty recognizable style of play. I feel like, I think that's why Trey stuck with him for so long. I mean, he played with Tony for 22 years. That's a long time to play with these musicians. And they had such a great rapport between each other. They both could adjust the way they were playing based on what the other guy was doing. And I'm not a musician and I don't really know shit about how any of it works. But if you listen to the way they kind of talk to each other on stage through their music, you can tell. You know, Trey has that with Mike, right? You can hear you play it long enough and that comes together. And I think one of the things that really stands out here is towards the end of this last tube is the way they just kind of deconstructed the jam. It kind of falls apart into 10 different pieces, right? Like, it's incredible how challenging it must be to do that. Kind of have things fall apart, but do it purposefully. That really stood out here, and it did kind of remind me a little bit about the last tube that we had heard at PNC, which had gone a little bit type two, was a little bit of a deeper dive, not like this, but it was still a 15 minute jam to close the set. Great finish. You know, I really liked what you said about how Tony really kind of starts this one off and, and pushes it throughout. Yeah, and I mean, that's just what he did his whole career. You know, people die all the time, and we don't know any of these people, right? But this one hurt. Trey's music, Trey's side project music, gotten me through a lot of difficult times in my life 
Tony was obviously a big part of that just because he was part of the music. Shit, Tony wrote two of my favorite songs, my favorite song, Sand, and got a Jaboo. So that one hurt, man. It hurt to, to learn that he had passed away, you know, especially after I think everybody got a little bit of that feeling like we got to know the Tab crew a little bit more, a little bit more personally because of the Beacon Jams. And Tony was a big part of that. And, and he's been a mainstay, obviously, but I'd read some interviews and stuff like that, but I'd never heard him speak. And he, he spoke occasionally on the Beacon Jams shows. And that one was a tough one for myself, but I think for the community at large, too. I took that a little bit hard too. We were up in Saratoga, which is where he's from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's where he is, you know? And we were up there when it happened. We were at a wedding. Shout out to the Russos. Congratulations. Beautiful. We're in Saratoga State Park. We actually visited Saratoga real quick and took a picture in front of there. And uh, I was struck by it. I've seen him a ton of times. And then you don't really think about that stuff. You're not thinking about like, oh, that guy's old or he might, you know, same with like Phil or whatever. They're still around. And I'm, I always think like I'm blessed to still see them instead of like thinking the reverse, which like you never know, you know what I mean? So yeah, I, I, I took that one really hard too, just because we were there in Saratoga. Right. And we, did, we found out and I was just like, ah, you know, it takes your breath away a little bit. The one that you weren't expecting. Right. All right. So let's take another look at set one, burlap, sack and pumps, Mozambique, Night Speaks to a Woman, Small Axe, Bob Marley cover, Acting the Devil. Came in review and last tube. Going into the second set, Money Love and Change. This one comes in at a cool 39 minutes. Olivia, Ether Sunday, Radon Balloon, Thunderhead, Simple Twist Up Dave, Simple Twist Up Dave reprise, and then they end the show with a push on till the day. Well, I guess we're going to talk about the Money Love and Change. It's pretty much the entire show. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I don't even really know what to say about this. It's 39 minutes. There are numerous jams, as you might imagine, in a 39-minute piece of music. It is a party. They never really take it quite type two, which I think is a little bit interesting about this jam, right? They never really stray too far from the money, love, and change. Again, Tony Marcalis, the, the baseline kind of sticks with this throughout. There's a couple of divergent parts here and there, but they are never far from the root money, love, and change song. So it doesn't necessarily take that type two turn that you would expect in a 39 minute version of a tune, but it is just crazy good. Trey rips a couple of solos. Trey does a couple of hooks that he just runs for like, it seems like a couple of minutes. And then the horns play off of that and the keys and the drums are also playing off of that. I, I mean, I don't even know. I honestly probably listened to this six times all right so six times 40 i mean i'm spending hours listening to this and trying to come up with how to describe it and what that's the best i can do <laughs> you are a total nerd <laughs> you listen to it six times i did too i listen to it a lot and here's i listen to it today trade just starts to attack right at the five minute mark and that's the rest of the well wait a minute what's What's 40 minus five? 35. 35, <laughs> thank you. It's like 35 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, this is why we were paying to see him three nights in a row on a Trey band tour that nowadays you'd be like, yeah, I'm seeing him in Baltimore, but I'm not gonna go to DC. I got the kids, I got something else. You know, or maybe you don't, if you're younger, go do that. Like if that starts happening again, we highly suggest that you go live your life and see as much as you can. Because then you'll be like us. And oh man, like we don't <laughs> we don't remember a lot of the stuff. Like I didn't remember a lot about being there. I didn't remember yeah, I think it got caught in that Scooby-Doo fog of like three nights in three different venues. You know, I do remember the Sultans of Swing. I do remember the acoustic at Holmdale. You know, but this was just kind of a straightforward show, but it's a money, love, and change at 40 minutes. 
that's not straightforward. You know, and, and then in like seven minutes, he catches a groove and he is just all over it. And then the horns come in behind that and then they attack it. And like you said, it's kind of like that for the rest. And they don't stray away from it. It's just, we can, we're gonna talk a little bit about the rest of the set. But I mean, if you go back and re-listen to this show, I mean, that is probably the first thing you should do. Yeah, and you get towards the end of, well, I say the end of it, like the 28 minute mark, there's still 10 minutes left, right? They bring it, you know, way down and it's just Tony playing the bass and then Trey comes in and then you get the horns come in and over the course of like three minutes, they just take it from this kind of mellow build and add piece by piece by piece until all of a sudden, boom, the whole band is back in grooving into this jam but again it's still sticking with that money love and change framework if you will and honestly bro i think that that's the thing that surprises me the most about this is that this version is not really deep and spacey and doesn't really even have like a deep and spacey component to it whereas if you look at like the previous two nights that we saw, they each had a little bit of a type two stray into different territory type of jam. One night being the last tube, I think they took a sand out there a little bit. Um, so there were a couple other things that we, you know, we're, we're not talking about those other shows, but just as a comparison of what they were doing, you would think that they, this would be a type two type of opportunity at the length but it was not and it was still just amazing and it, i think you made a reference to this too like trey band now is looked at differently than trey band was in 2002 right there was no fish in 2002 now there's basically it's if i had my choice to go see trey or fish well obviously yeah we're gonna go see fish right right but if you don't have a choice, you're gonna go and you're gonna see whatever there is to see, number one. And number two, understanding that for Trey, this was his replacement for Fish. So he was taking some of these songs on some exploratory rides as well. And they kind of, you know, they, it was kind of a rotation, right? It was Money, Love & Change, it was Push On Till The Day, it was Last Tube, Cayman, it was Night right. Weeks, like Cayman Review. You know, if you see them three times, you're gonna see a deep dive into a couple of those during this time period. So it's not like the set lists were that divergent from each other, but he still, had a lot of fun, I think, with these tunes. I think he re it really comes through because this money, love, and change, it's just a lot of fun. It just continues that theme of like fun, lighthearted, celebratory dance party. We're all part of a parade, man, you know? And we're just not marching anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on the lawn at Merriweather. I mean, you know. Right, yeah, right. And then they go back to that same feel that you talk about with the Olivia next. It's again, they bring the bus driver out. Um, I couldn't remember what he played during the Olivia. I don't know if he played guitar or what. I have no idea. They, I don't remember if they even said anything. Maybe just I'm getting old. I can't remember. But it had that big band feel again. So then they go back to that again. We keep saying party. I mean, what else do you want me to say about it? That's what it sounds like. The Olivia, they had debuted the night before, so this was only the second time they had played it. Yeah, there's a there's a story about the bus driver. I think it was his favorite song or something like that, so they brought him out. And then, you know, you get into the, the latter part here, and Ether Sunday, Ray Dawn Balloon, those were both on Trey Anastasio's self-titled album that came out, I think, earlier that summer. Maybe it was... Maybe it was it was 2002, so I think it came out probably spring of 2002. Is that the one where he's looking like wistfully out the bus window while it's raining? Out the window of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Trey. He's got the real short hair. Like, <laughs> yeah. you can tell Trey was going, he was going through some shit, you know? Like, I get it, dude. You know, I get it. When Traveler came out in 2012, like, that was me looking out the window of the bus, you know? <laughs> That's so funny because I, I'm always like, what happens at? Is that the one where he's looking at the bus window? That's so funny. But yeah, 
I mean, Ether Sunday is like a total cool down tune. It's really sleepy. Yeah, just a nice little ballad, yeah. Yeah, it's time to relax. And then Radon Balloon, kind of the same thing. I mean, I gotta be honest with you, like Thunderhead, I probably listened to once and skipped over just to hear this simple twist up Dave, which I've always liked too, and that was always on the rotation. And then, I mean, you gotta talk about what happened after they played the simple twist up too. So the Radon Balloon, not to be confused with the Radon Balloon from Oysterhead, I did not know that this version was a breeder's cover, so that I just learned. So you learn something new every day, Skinny. The other thing I learned, and gotta do your research, you, you, you showed me the light on doing research here, that Ray Dawn, two words, Ray and Dawn, balloon, Fish actually played, and some of you might be familiar with the Bomb Factory show from May 7th, 1994. In the middle of that tweezer that everybody loves from, the Bomb Factory is Radon Balloon. They play for a, a little bit there. But that's the only time that Fish has ever played that. So there's your JW Fish nerdery for the day. The Thunderhead. Wait, I was going to say, as the kids say. The Thunderhead, I wonder, you'll have to look at your fish stats to see if you ever saw Fish play this. Fish, this was on Round Room, and Fish played this January 3rd, 2003 at Hampton when they returned after the hiatus. So, Thunderhead, it was interesting they did an acoustic version here. Radon Balloon and Thunderhead, Trey did acoustic, so that was always cool, too, to see him kind of sit down and, and do that acoustic. So, Thunderhead, he did a like seven performances with tab but that is like a fish tune that is on round room that they also don't play i've seen it a couple times it's a very good tune you you would probably like it as far as the slow slowdowns were concerned and then you get to the end of the set the simple twist up dave i love simple twist up dave man that's such a groovy song again great dance party i would i want to ask if i ever meet trey one of the questions that'll be on there is like simple twist up dave jerry garcia simple twist of fate like what's happening there can you fill in some of the and who knows there might already be a story out there about that but i always think about trey band versus fish and jerry garcia band versus the grateful dead and you described the difference pretty well when you stubbed me down on the jerry garcia band show from merriweather right and you talked about how the garcia band show was really a party and Everybody was a lot lighter, and I feel like that's an apt comparison to Trey versus Fish. I think Simple Twist Up Dave is a song that kind of gives a good example of that if you compare it to, I don't know, what's a JGB song that you would compare that to? Don't Let Go. Don't Let Go, you know? Don't Let Go is a very transitional tune. I mean, you said it already, Simple Twist of Faith even though that's a Bob Dylan cover. I mean, that's a very exploratory tune. I mean, John Kahn would typically have a huge bass solo in the middle of that. So yeah, your comparison is right on, bro. And I gotta keep telling you this, don't sell yourself short. You're an incredible slouch. He's an incredible slouch. <laughs> to wrap it up with that, and again, that's uh, over 12 minutes. So the fact that they were playing these songs, they really let them develop. And with so much music on stage, you know, you're talking about a 10 piece, you've got horns, you've got drums and percussion, you've got all of that music. I think it's cool that there's plenty of room for that all to get a spot for it all to get some space to shine a little bit, to keep it within the framework of the music that Trey was focused on at the time. And I think that that made these shows just so much fun to be at, even if we might struggle today to remember the exact specifics of those shows. I do remember them at the end of the Simple Twist Update marching off the stage music kind of fading out and everybody was you know cheering and whatever and then they marched back on stage for the encore and picked up simple twist up dave reprise and picked up the song right where they had left off and continued playing and then they encored with the fucking 15 minute push on till the day i mean it was a lot of music and a lot of jamming and with with some exploration but 
just a really powerful full set of music. Both sets, full sets of music. Again, like, please take care of yourself. <laughs> the first set was banging, and so was the second set. If you wanted to go see Tab back in 2002, you were not missing much. I mean, they did sound really good. I mean, I'm a big fan of that. You know what I mean? And Trey to be able to drop that, you know, guitar in the middle of that and wrap around it. We've talked about that before. This like, I don't know, I think that might've gotten cut from an episode, but I'll, I'll say it again. If you're old enough, like I am, not necessarily Josh. <laughs> Before the recordless phones, you had like this opportunity at Radio Shack to buy this like long cord where you could go into other rooms already talking on the phone. And a lot of times it got wrapped around you. And Trey, I think, does that same thing where he wraps around the entire 10-piece band and you're just like, oh my God, like, then they were doing this and no wonder you can't remember because everybody is doing all kinds of shit that you cannot remember. But when you go back and listen to it on release and you're like, oh my God, then you hear him come in there and then the horns go like this and then Trey comes back in and then Tony's holding it all together. I mean, that is, for this show, it's really quintessential tab for that summer, summer of 2002. So I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and that's a great way to describe it because Trey does, he weaves himself in and out of the horns and in and out of the bass line and in and out of Jen singing the backup vocals, Ray on the keys. And I, I mean, it's just masterful the way he does it and he conducts them to play a certain way and then he plays in and around them. That was his primary focus during this time period. I mean, we said it at the top of the show, he played 35 Trey Anastasio band shows. During this time, he was doing radio hits for the new album. This was his primary focus at that time. It shows, it definitely shows when you listen back to these concerts. I did find it interesting, Skinny, that in this whole show, there were no segs. There was no one song into another. Every song stopped and then went into the next song after a break, which I noticed when I was looking at it visually, you know, set book wise. I thought that was a little bit of an interesting note. Also, no fish. There were no there was no fish played at all here. Really the only fish we had seen was that chalk dust melody that he did two nights before at PNC, but... And, and then, of course, we saw three nights, so we, we did see a bunch of repeats, but they were all different. I don't think that any of these shows really are that similar in theme of the show, even if the set was Yeah, I mean, we're not square. I mean, we get it. Like, I mean, if they're going to play repeats in different, you know, venues, it is the way it is. Well, some of it was new, too. Some of that music was right. new, and they were, you know, they were debuting it and working it out. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's just the way it is. You're going to have to put up with them playing a couple repeats when, you know, you're touring an album or whatever it is you're doing. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we're not seeing... <laughs> I always use Bon Jovi. Sorry, John Bon Jovi. <laughs> you guys play the same shit every night. <laughs> <laughs> so they weren't playing the same shit every night. The beauty of it is, I, I feel like with the music that we talk about, they always seem to do it differently when you see them. So if you see them three nights in a row at three different venues, you're gonna see three different versions of maybe that same tune. It's great, I love it. Let me uh, run down that second set. So set two open up with the 39 minute Money Love and Change, Olivia, Ether Sunday, Radon Balloon, Thunderhead, Simple Twist Up Dave, Simple Twist Up Dave reprise, which by the way, if you just make that a is that an anagram? It's stud. <laughs> and then, last song of the night, Push On Till the Day. Great show. Awesome to talk about it with you, man. You got anything you want to add to that whole experience that you really don't remember? <laughs> <laughs> really, the only thing that I would recommend is for... Anybody that might not be familiar with Trey Band at this time period, say 2001, 2002, go check out some of these shows. Just go and look and see what set lists you like and choose one or two to listen to. You'll get hooked right away because 
there is some great jamming, high energy, and it really will get you into just that party atmosphere type of mood. Like you should be in a parade. If you listen to it and you're like, eh, I don't think so, you know, let me know. I would love to have a conversation with you about what's wrong with you if you don't find entertainment in listening to these early aughts Trey Anastasio band shows again. For all our fans out there, Josh runs the Twitter account. (laughs) Yes. If you're not following us on social media, you can check us out at stub underscore me underscore down on Twitter. And that is also our Instagram handle, stub underscore me underscore down. All right. Well, listen, besides the fact that we just talked about a great show, we're going to talk about a couple people. That stubbed me down as Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, whoa. What did I do? I want to say something first about this next segment. I want to say I fucking love my new Wilson hat that uh, we got hooked up with from Jamazon. That thing is right in my wheelhouse. And that CK5 hat is pretty sweet too, but that Wilson hat with the crown on the side. Oh, and you know how me, I love anything with a W on it. So, well, the best part is, Jamazon, you didn't realize what a hat freak this dude is. So, when I saw that hat, the Wilson hat, it's sick. Which, by the way, going into tour, if you're looking for a hat, you got to go to Jamazon. They're also on Instagram. You can look them up right on the old interwebs. They're great over there. We're partnering with them and they're partnering with us. So if you're listening to us or you're buying their stuff, we're all kind of coalescing in this great partnership out here in the community. We also partner with Fan Design, Scott Mitchell, which is P-H-A-N-D-E-S-I-G-N-Z. Actually, he got all my shit about not wearing my shirt. So I'll have to wear my shirt and take a picture of the next show that I'm at. Oh, Josh is wearing his actually, but he can't see you. <laughs> but I love this shirt, dude. Scott, just know that he's wearing the Game Hen shirt, which I think he was like, oh, I wanted the antelope at first. But it's a really great shirt. He's got great stuff. And he has Goose stuff, which you should check out. He's got a sweet hat. And he's pigeons playing ping pong. Yeah, he's got great stuff. Scott, well, look, here's a free idea. I'm throwing it out there. Goose shirt, release the geese. I'm telling you, I don't know what's, I don't know why it's not out there yet. Maybe it will be on tour, but release the geese. That's the shirt. I mean, I think it's a good shirt too. I don't know about design or anything. I mean, we need our own shirts. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we got stickers. What do you want? I'll tell you what, self-promotion is very hard. You know, we were at these shows and it's like, you know, you walk around and be like, hey, here's a sticker for a podcast that you might not listen to. You know, at least the sticker's cool, right? Like, I, you know, eventually I was just like, hey, do you want a free sticker? And some people are like, no. <laughs> like, All right. You guys <laughs> fuck. I didn't realize it was that hard. You guys suck. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Which leads me to our last, I guess, partnership and purveyor of the same type of things. Shirts, hats, and then the lot by Primal Soup, if you haven't checked them out. They're an online lot, so they have all kinds of stuff, too. You know, it's summer tours coming up. I mean, you got to have your new gear, right? Am I right? You always do. I won't tell a lot of people this, but I, you know, I'm a little bit particular in my shirt and hat combination for a show. I will also mention that the Mother's Day present I got for Megan is a, I don't know if she was wearing it the other night. It's a necklace with a rose and then a 13 point lightning bolt on it called Rose and Bolt. They're one of the shops in the the lot by Primal Soup. Very cool stuff. And it looked amazing on my wife too. Oh, well then it sells itself. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, listen, if you haven't checked out those guys, you should. Please reach out to us. Let us know how we're doing on Twitter and Instagram at stub underscore me underscore down on both of those accounts. All right, Josh. Hey, great time. I uh, really enjoyed talking about this one. I'm glad I got the opportunity to stub you down. I also have now stubbed you down twice, and you have only stubbed me down once. So uh, I guess I'm winning. (laughs) This is what winning looks like. It's not a competition, right? (laughs) Hey, I can't wait to get everybody out back on tour. 
It's exciting. Make your tour plans. Let us know where you're going to be, what shows you're going to be hitting. There'll be a stummy down crew member at everything starting at Deer Creek. If you are going to be at those shows, Deer Creek, Hershey, Atlantic City, Dix, hit us up. We are excited to meet everybody and be back hanging out, seeing the band we love. Skinny, I love you, man. This is the greatest of partnerships as our new director of partnerships. I appreciate your efforts in maintaining this partnership. Hey, man, thanks for stubbing me down on that tab show from 6-22-02 at Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland. Great time talking to you. Appreciate you. And thank you for checking us out once again here on Stub Me Down. We're always thankful for you. And we will see you the next time you need to get out of your shitty seats and down to the path. Later, J-Dub. Later, J-Dub.